This morning, we find ourselves in the book of Malachi. That's real easy to find. It's the very last book of the Old Testament. If you go to Matthew, you've gone too far. Just back up just a couple pages and you're there. Between Malachi and Matthew, there's a 400 years of silence. God doesn't speak. <laughs> now, when God doesn't speak to me like daily or like really strong in a week, I get really concerned like, God, is there sin? Is there something I've done? Because I want to hear from God. How many of you want to hear from God? Yeah, but he went 400 years. But in this book, God is trying to straighten the people up. So there's a lot I want to try to teach on this morning. But I want to start it a little different. I want you to turn to the people next to you in just a minute. And if you've ever had something stolen from you, I want you to turn and tell the person next to you. Something's been stolen from you. Turn and tell them. <clears throat> Don't look at me. Okay. All I know is I heard somebody say, they stole my motorcycle. I mean, that's pretty serious. I do remember when I turned 16 and started driving, somebody stole my 10-speed. But, you know, hey, I gladly traded it in for a car. You know what I'm saying? Well, here it is. I, I pray that you've been blessed over these six weeks that I've been just teaching some of the minor prophets. Today we come to Malachi, and it, his name means messenger. And he brings a message to us this morning in 2015. He brought, definitely brought a message to the people from God. And my prayer is that in these studies that we've been doing on the minor prophets that you've been learning life lessons I, I certainly have i've seen it uh, applicable to so many areas of my life over these weeks and and this morning we kind of come to the end in this particular part when you read malachi the history of a nation of israel of the people they've been with god they've been away from god they had grown incredibly indifferent they were lazy they were apathetic and I'll just stop there because it makes me kind of think about us today that the church of Jesus Christ under my watch is a pastor of the gospel. I feel like America is becoming indifferent to the gospel truths. The gospel has not lost its power. The gospel is the only thing that is constant in my life. The gospel is the only thing that doesn't change. And the church said, but this book has been diluted by pastors and teachers and seminarians, and it breaks my heart. Denominations, which I am grateful for. I got my education through United Methodist and through a big evangelical movement. I love my roots. I'm not picking on denominations. But they're in trouble as a denomination right now, as others have been, as they're trying to debate this book and how relevant it is. It saddens me, church, that I hope and pray that above all things that you love God's word. Amen? And I'm not just talking about, well, you know, I got a pink one for Christmas. That's cute. I don't care what color it is. I just hope you get one and you wear it out until Jesus comes. Because this is the book that you need to read. If it was the Wall Street Journal, Sports Illustrated, a hot novel for the summer, people would be wearing it out. Go to the airports, you see, man, people are reading the latest fads. But i got to tell you, this is the most current thing that's ever been down the road. God's holy word. Let's move together. So the people in Malachi's time, they were lapsed. 
They had become dull in their sensitivity to the things of God. They had spiritually drifted off course. A lot of them were just merely going through the, through the motions. So let's jump here and see what the prophet says. This is the message that the Lord gave to Israel through the prophet Malachi, verse 2. I have always loved you, says the Lord, but you retort, really? How have you loved us? <laughs> now, I read that and I go, really? He delivered you? He rescued you? We see the past track record of God, and they ask, how have you loved us, God? But look, before we pick on them, do we not do the same thing today? God, you didn't answer this specific prayer in the way that I wanted. Do you love me? Of course he loves you. He's crazy about you. He's pursuing you all the time. He pursued you before Christ. His grace drew you into relationship with him. He's pursuing you this morning if you've drifted off course. And here when I look at this, these people, they just don't know or they've forgotten somehow. The Father's love is faithful. The Father's love is forever. The Father's love is forgiveness. Now, I'm going to give you kind of a, uh, a five-word summary, and we're going to have a prayer and go home. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That is never going to happen. But I can summarize up Malachi in five words. Are you ready? Get ready to write them down. Chapter 1, verse 2. Skeptical. The people had grown skeptical of God's love. Today, in Montgomery, Alabama, the Bible Belt, across America, I see more skeptics than I've ever seen. People are skeptical of the Father's love. Go to verse 7. They were careless in worship. And we'll talk about that today and how it exhibited itself, how it expressed itself. They were careless. If we're not careful, church, we fall into a, a careless, going through the motion, ritualistic, and no passionate relationship with Christ. If you're married, you better be passionate about your mate. And the body of Christ said, okay, if you want to eat today, let me give you another chance. If you're in your marriage and you want it to survive, you better be passionate. And all the men said, trying to help you guys. Come on, man. Yeah, this, ain't, this ain't our brightest moment this morning. Chapter 2, verse 6 through 7. They were indifferent. That's the big word. They were indifferent to God's truth. They had just grown callous. Cold, whatever. Fourth thing, they were faithless in their marriages. Chapter 2, 15 through 3, 6. They were just faithless. That looks like America to me. Faithless in their marriage. In the fifth thing, chapter 3, verse 8. Are you ready? They were just stingy. They were stingy in their offerings. The Macedonians were commended in Scripture for being generous and to being gracious and to showing their love for God. But not so with the people here in Malachi. They were just stingy. Do, do you like to be around stingy people? No. Are you stingy? Don't answer. You know if you are or not. God says, I don't want you to be. So don't rob yourself. So let's go back to verse 2. I have always loved you. God reminds us all through Scripture how crazy he is about us and that he loves us. And he tells us that over and over. You think, why does God repeat himself? Because we're slow of mind. We forget so quickly. And God says, I love you, Israel. I love you, people. I love you, children of God. Don't forget that. Draw on that. And then he moves into to covenant relationship. 
And there's covenant relationship that God's made us as children of the promise, children of the covenant. That's a whole study in itself. But these people had wandered. Israel is known for wandering. But it's not just Israel. The people of God, people of the day, we, we're prone to wander in our hearts. Sin sets a hook. Temptation comes to young and old alike. And we just wander into sin. And I'm praying this morning, somehow through this study, through the power of the Holy Spirit, God will rebirth in us a new heart of his love and his hope for us. Let's fill in the first one here. Ready? God questions their love. And he's God, so he definitely has the right. Now, they question his love, as we read, but God questioned the love of the people. Did they really love him? Did they really just kind of talk about it? You, you, you remember the old play, Fiddler on the Roof, in that line in there, do you love me? And you're in a relationship, somebody asks you, do you love me? Well, if they ask you, do you love me, you have to ask them, then something's probably not real strong in that relationship. And I'm just saying, man, the Father's asking us, it's a great question for us just right in the margin today, saying, God, you have agapo, you have agape, your love to me, you love me with an everlasting love and covenant. Lord, may I never question your love for me. May I return to the God of my salvation, May you restore to me the joy of my salvation, the joy of my youth. When I first started walking with Christ, whether it be young or when you were old, but Lord, restore in the people of faith today a greater love for Jesus Christ. God, we want to return to you. We want praise to ever be on our lips. We sang that this morning, didn't we? Ever on my lips. I wish you could hear my granddaughter sing this. Oh, my goodness. When we sang it this morning, I hear her in my head singing it. As a two-year-old, she's learned to sing the praises of her king through the leadership of her mom and dad and the Holy Spirit working in her life as he works in your life. It's praise ever on your lips, church. And Jesus says, that's what I want. But these people, I have to remind them that I love them. And then just move down here to verse 5. When you see the destruction for yourselves, you will say, truly the Lord's greatness reaches far beyond Israel's borders. And that would reach even to us this morning. And then the second, right in the middle of the page, God condemns them. He condemns their sins. And their sins are many. And at the very top of your worship, God, this morning, I just wrote down some things here. Malachi is the final book of the Old Testament, but he addresses specific behaviors called sin the issues of divorce infidelity mixed marriages hypocrisy tithing false worship complacency arrogance does that get anybody he just says people in this book i'm going to speak to you about these errors of your way so i want to just try to get into a little bit of that and see what god says to us because god is above all, there is no one higher as we sing this morning. And God saw the attitude of Israel. And it was stiff-necked. It was hard-hearted. It was cold toward the things of God. And I always want to go, God, it's easy to pick on people of the Old Testament and the New Testament and biblical characters. But when it comes to my heart, have I grown indifferent? Have I grown cold? Holy Spirit, set a fire in my soul. Lord, do something new. God sees the attitude here. And here, if I could read just the whole book, look over to verse 7. 
You have shown contempt by offering defiled sacrifices on my altar. The people would come to the altar. They had to make sacrifice because Jesus hadn't died. And they would come in and they went, you know, I could get a lot of money for this animal. I will take one of my blemish, disease-ridden, filled animals and bring it to the temple. And God says, not on my watch. I don't want your old disease, sick leftovers. Does anybody see an application to our lives this morning? God, I'm bringing you something. I'm giving you about half a hand today. I'm going to give you half a praise. I'm going to give you a little bit of a half-hearted, devoted, devotion heart to Jesus. And God's like, keep it. Just keep it, Keith. If that's the best you got, son, I don't take unacceptable sacrifices. And I love our church. I love the contemporary church. It's when we started one 19 years ago. I love the high praises of Jesus. I love to worship the king. Do you love to worship Jesus, church? So he goes, don't give me leftovers. And so many times you've heard stuff about that, but it's easy to give. I mean, I ask you in the flesh, do you like leftovers? And some of you go, uh-uh. Now, if it's lasagna, I think it's better to more leftover. But at my house, the only problem is it don't last very long. You know what I'm saying? And, and it gets kind of crusty and kind of hard. That, that's good. But anyway, let's keep going. So leftovers here. And God says, without a grudging heart. And then he begins to challenge us. And he says, they're, they're defiled and they've grown careless. And, and they, it's like if, if you came, like when people ask for things and, and you clean out your closets, do you just give them all your old tennis shoes that you won't even put on anymore? They, they're so nasty. And your old shirt that has pitch stains. Let's just go ahead and be honest. And you give your gross stuff or do you give some nice stuff that maybe has some value and somebody could wear that and they would be proud and they would have dignity and they would have honor. Oh, no, we're not going to give any good stuff away. We're only giving stuff with holes in it. You know, I've been a pastor for a lot of years, and I've done mission trips all over the world, and sometimes we take stuff, and sometimes some people have brought some stuff. I'm like, really? Really? You brought that from Montgomery, Alabama? I wouldn't wear that to the slum. My mom said, clean up my closet. That's pitiful. So the next time you take a mission trip, why don't you take some good stuff? And the church said, yeah. And maybe you're saying, well, I don't go on mission trips. Then send some of your good stuff with them. I don't know. But the people, I know this, the people just got bored. If you read anything in history about the Puritans and their deep devotion to Christ, they were known for having at least three-hour, four-hour worship services. I preached in Mexico and all Venezuela and England and all over the world. <laughs> and I remember the first time I was called on to preach in, uh, in Mexico. I was a young youth pastor, associate pastor, and we had a, a, our leader was fluent Spanish, English, and he got uh, Montezuma's revenge. If you don't know what that is, ask your mom later. And his wife walked up to me and says, Larry wants you to know you're preaching tonight. And as we walked in the service, and I went, oh, help me, Jesus. But the good news was the services lasted four hours long in Spanish. So I got on the back pew, and me and Jesus got together, and I got a word. And then I got up and preached, and I was like, but what I'm saying is we need to be ready in season and out of season, and we, and we don't want to get bored with worship. Some of you are like, if you don't do it in 30 or 34 minutes, I'm out of here. And some churches are like, if you don't do it in 14 minutes, we're gone. And I, I saw some study recently that our world is like, we can only handle a little bitty sound bites. We can only handle a little bit of information. If we don't get it in about six or seven minutes, that's called a sermonette. That's not called a sermon. It's done. It's like, God, help us to have ears to hear. 
Look, look what he says here. God says, cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I'm a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. I love that. And then he goes into chapter 2. Let's turn there. Listen, you priests, this command is for you. Listen to me and make up your minds to honor my name. Even the priests had gotten lazy and just weren't doing their job. And God's like, I'm not blessed in that. I want, I want you to give, if, if that's your calling, if you're a Christ follower, I want you to honor me with total allegiance and devotion to my name. Let's move on down here. Verse 7, the words of a priest's lips should preserve knowledge of God and people should go to him for instruction. For the priest is the messenger of the Lord of heaven's armies. But you, priests, you've left God's path. Your instructions have caused many to stumble into sin. You've corrupted the covenant that I made with the Levites. And he goes on and on. So it's just a real word to Blake and Jeff and me and our staff and to pastors and to ministers and missionaries. Give your best. But it's not just to us, it's to those that follow the name of Jesus. And then he moves on into this section. I want you to see, let's move down here. Then verse 10, a call to faithfulness. The men of Judah have defiled the Lord's beloved sanctuary by marrying women who worship idols. And that's what I mean by mixed marriages. They were marrying people outside the faith. And those women had great influence and power over them. And they caused them to not follow Jehovah. And they followed these false prophets and Baals and false gods. And God says, oh, this is detestable. This is wrong. Ahab married Jezebel. And that led to an idolatrous, ridden, filled, consumed kingdom. Read the Old Testament. You'll read about that. And then if you want to go fast forward, go to 2 Corinthians 6. And God says, do not be yoked with unbelievers. So teenagers, listen to me. Listen to me, teenagers. I'm, I'm going to save you all some pain, okay? I know you're going, but my hormones are bubbling. I understand that. I understand that, okay? Yeah, some of you are like, I like this. Okay. But do not marry a non-Christian girl or guy if you have a testimony. And the church said, did y'all hear that? And the church said, Amen. that's about the loudest you ever want to hear, teenagers. You, you don't want to, you know, you see right now, I hope today's message makes you think two and three and five times about marriage. That You make sure you marry somebody in the faith. Now, listen, if you're married today to a non-Christian, don't get out of the relationship. First Peter talks about live your life in such a way that they might see Christ. You stay in that one. You chose that one. But teenagers, back to you. Missionary dating. I'm not an advocate. <laughs> I think it leads to a lot of misery. 1 Corinthians 7, 12 through 13. But basically, if you are in that kind of marriage, just keep praying and believing and providing the example that Christ will be lifted up. I like what John Piper said. If the choice of a marriage partner still lies before you, settle it in your mind right now to never marry anyone that does not love the Lord Jesus Christ with all their heart. I remember I grew up as a non-Christian. I came to Christ at 19. I had this crazy ideology that I would marry a Christian. Now, how is a Christian going to want pagan boy? You know what I'm saying? And then I got radically saved, and then I began to pray for a godly woman, and God led this incredible woman into my life. Next month, we're going to celebrate 36 years of marriage covenant. And we were, amen. That's right. 
And we were equally yoked. We had a common passion and bond for Jesus. And that's grown over the years in raising our girls and our grandchildren and touching lives for the gospel. And it's all because of Christ and being yoked. That yoked is two oxen being by device pulled together that they can pull in the same direction and not apart. You're married to a non-believer, I promise you. They're going to pull in a different way. I could preach on this for days because I'm really passionate about it, but I just I want you to hear it. I think it's awesome. Let me tell you another reason. You match your passions. I remember when we started Christ Community Church, I had to make sure my wife was with me on this venture because we knew it would be hard. We didn't know how hard, and we didn't know how joyful it would be either. But you do it in Christ. Somebody asked Henry Ford one time, the great card guy, how do you become successful? And he goes, just stick with one line. I'm telling you guys, girls, stick with one partner. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. And the church said, amen. Now, this is not a word to beat up people. And let's keep going because I want you to see all this text. But see, people were dumping their wives. They were dumping their covenant people to follow after pagan women. Dumb. Okay. Now, I know some of you said, now, is he fixing to read this next section? I am. Unapologetically, it's God's word. It's my responsibility. 215. Didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? He did. In body and spirit, you're his. And what does he want? Godly children from your union. So guard your hearts, remain loyal to the wife of your youth. I like that. Then verse 16. For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. Now, I want you to hear this. It does not say, I hate divorcees. God does not. There's not a scarlet D on anybody's chest for divorce or whatever. But God hates divorce because he knows it will damage and devastate the soul and hurt people. And God has a higher plan, and it's called covenant marriage. And you heard it from this platform this Sunday morning. Amen? But God, Moses and his law, and I could get in all of Deuteronomy, and I could get into the Jewish rabbis of the day. And one of them said, if the woman burns your toast, if she looks at you wrong, issue her a certificate of divorce, done. And Jesus said, wait a minute, wait a minute, I got a higher way. Unless there be infidelity, marital unfaithfulness, I want you to stay married because that brings my name because I don't want you to be divorced. And God's way, and God has a concession, there's, there's a clause there, if there's uh, sin, adulterous, fornication, that, and, and I'm under the opinion that continues, but God's, then they're free to leave. But here's what I'd say to you, church. Listen to me carefully. God really wants reconciliation. Our God is a reconciliation God. How many believe that, church? Back here in this study, for the last many years, I fight for marriages every month because I believe that divorce is not God's highest option, but marriage is. Amen? So I hope you can look here and go, Pastor, I'm, you're, you're, you're helping me. Now I want you to write down Proverbs 6, 16 through 19, and it just says, you're saying, well, you're just really picking on divorce. No, I'm just trying to honor God's word. But then he goes, he says this. Some other things he doesn't like. There are six things the Lord hates, no seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, heads, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, a man who stirs up dissension among his brothers, so go, God goes on all these things. These things are not fitting for a follower of Jesus. And God says, I hate that. That's an abomination. Those things are wrong for me. So God's heart 
It's for us. Let's go back to one chapter 1, verse 2. God loves you. Isn't that a comforting thought this morning? And I know some of you are saying, I, I can't believe our pastor's preaching on this. Well, I wish other preachers would preach on this. I wish we would just preach the entire word of God because God has a way and he's trying to show us. And if I do it now, you could go to 1 Corinthians 7. You could go to Matthew 19 if you want to continue to study on this topic. But I've got to keep moving on because God is gracious. God is full of that. So don't, don't rob your marriage here. Be faithful. Look at that. Guard your heart. Don't be unfaithful to your wife. You've wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied him, you ask? You have wearied him by saying that all you who do evil are good in the Lord's sight, and he is pleased with them? You have wearied him by asking, where is the God of justice? And he goes on and on. He's trying to tell the people. He's trying to teach them here. Now, I want to just share this quickly. I, I wish I'd have done this earlier, and I didn't for your notes, but six practical ways to keep your marriage covenant intact. Number one, take responsibility to grow spiritually as an individual and as a couple and to honor Christ. Cultivate your spiritual life. Number two, I say this all the time. Stay committed to your marriage no matter what. Fight for your marriage. Believe in it. Trust Christ. Ask him to help. Third, set up practical hedges, boundaries in your life. Go ahead and determine things you will not do. Of conversations you won't have with opposite sex things you won't do, maybe touching somebody in an inappropriate way. Oh, no, no, we could talk about boundaries for days. That's not the purpose. The whole goal is we have to have boundaries. It, uh, avoid flirting. Watch what you watch. Fourth, commit to communicate, communicate, communicate. And now Donna's going to come up and tell you all about everything I don't know how to do. Okay, Donna, would you go? No, okay. I'm a professional communicator. But I got to tell you, I do not have this down. Matter of fact, I screw up a lot. When the Smallies were here, I was trying to learn everything I could. We're having a marriage conference this next February, our second one. You need to sign up when we get there because it, it could change your life and your marriage. Fifth, think of the best of your spouse. Think good things about her. Cut her, cut, her, cut him some slack. Be kind. Sixth, be a servant. I read a story this week. I thought it was interesting. Now, young people, you're not going to remember the next name, and all you older people will. Jack Benny. Y'all remember who Jack Benny was? Hello, I'm not, the only, I'm not the oldest guy in the room. Okay. Anyway, the story goes that Jack Benny saw this girl that really interested him, and he sent her a rose. And then he sent her a rose every day. And then he sent her another rose. And today we'd call that stalking. But, 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 but he, <laughs> just, just think it. But, but he sent her all these roses. And finally she says, I don't know who's sending me these roses, but I got to go find out. And she did, and she met him. And then she decided she liked him, and he committed to her, I'm going to send you a rose every day of our marriage. For decades, he sent her a rose every single day. And then Jack died, and the roses continued. She's like, I know he's not sending them from the dead. And she went to the florist and asked, could you tell me why you're still sending roses? My husband Jack is dead. He says, you don't understand. Before your husband died, he made all the arrangements that as long as you have life, you will receive a rose every day. That's romance, isn't it? And I just cost us hundreds of thousands of dollars in roses. No, I don't know. 
I don't know. I thought it was a great story. All right. So God questions their love. God condemns their sins. And then God seeks their repentance. He's seeking the repentance of the people, okay? So we're there in chapter 3. Look, look down at verse 6. I am the Lord, and I do not change. Folks, write it in your Bible. Write it in your notes. God is stable. God is constant. God is consistent. The Lord transforms us, but he is steady through the eternal ages. And I'm grateful for the character of God. Because y'all know how much I love change. I really do. On most things, I love change. I, I, I was thinking the other day, I was running down the road, and I had this thought. I had the honor of starting a church and writing a lot of material for it and uh, helping shape the DNA. And one of our elements is change. And I like change. And I know it drives you nuts sometimes. But then sometimes I'm thinking, you know, sometimes I don't like change. And most of the time I do. And I know some people, they get nervous about it. And they tell me, and, and I apologize. But then I read the scripture, and I'm just like, but the Lord doesn't change. He's constant. And we could talk about that forever because the people were into sorcery and idolatry all over Israel. They'd been let out of captivity, but they were missing the mark. And, and, and God's like, but I don't change here. I'm, I'm constant for you. My, my love is steadfast. And, but, but God has not changed his mind about disobedience. God has not changed his mind about sin. God has not changed his mind about the consequences of living in sin and a destiny of eternal damnation and hell for that. An eternal life reigning with the Lord Jesus forever for those that will trust and believe and be rooted and walk in Christ. And man, that's the hope of the gospel. But look here, move on down. He goes, now return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So God's just simply saying, come back, come home, re return to me. Because, verse 2, I love you. I've not forgotten about you. So please, please return. It, it'll go well with your soul. It'll be healthy for you. And I think it's going to come up on the scripture. Is there, uh, uh, go past the next. I want to go to this section in Romans 8. There it is. I, I, lo I love this section. Can y'all stand with me? I, I preached on this a year or so ago, and I did three weeks on Romans 8. And this right here today, I hope you just get so jacked up. Could, could y'all read this with me? Let's read it together. What, then, shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written... For your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's put our hands together and thank God for his word. Amen. Isn't that awesome? You can be seated. And, uh, you know, 
I was sitting there doing that. And I, I, I just get all into it. And I thought, I know y'all are thinking, praise God, he is not out in the congregation standing next to me. You, you know, when I talk to people, I hit them with my hands. The other day, I knocked a kid out. I, I did. I was out in the foyer. I was loving on people, and I did this, and whoo, the kid went flying across the room, and Jesus, it, it was awesome. And uh, then I kissed him for about an hour to make sure he still loves Pastor Keith. But they left the church this week. I just wanted you to know. But anyway. I love to use my hands. God gave me these to express, and he gave you your hands to express worship. Amen? Isn't that a great passage? I, I read this verse, I read this section all the time. I just need to be reminded that nothing can separate me or you from the love that's in Jesus Christ. And God reminds them here. All right, let's go here. Oh, i got to do this quickly. Oh, man, this is just too much. All right, here it is. Verse 8, they're cheating God, they're robbing God. Should people cheat God yet? You have cheated me, but you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You've cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You're under a curse for your whole nation has been cheating me. Verse 10, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you and I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it. Try it, put me to the test. Put me to the test. I often heard people say, don't test God. In this situation, test him. And he will prove faithful. I could testify to the excellent name of Jesus for the next 10 hours if I wanted to about how good God is to me and to my bride and to my family through faithfulness. And God, I, I could talk about this forever and you know, tithing and bringing 10%, it just means 10th, and I bring it to the local storehouse, and that would be the temple, that would be the church, where we're spiritually fed, where we worship, where we have church. And mathematically, it is a 10th. Scripturally, it is the law according to Deuteronomy 14, 22. Economically, it is an investment where our treasure is, we find our what? Our hearts. And I just beg you, if you're not tithing, to begin to tithe, begin to trust Christ. You're saying, but that would be one-tenth. I understand. And he allows you to live on nine-tenths. In the Old Testament, if you really want to study a, a tithe, they basically did three of them. They were like living on about 70%. And every so many years, I had to give another one for the poor. But it, it was just a different system. And in the New Testament, you have all this grace-giving and excelling giving. And we could, I could preach on that for days, but the whole purpose is... Follow the word of God. God says, I will pour out a blessing you can't contain it. How many of you want a blessing on your life that you can't contain? Now, that, that doesn't mean money. It could. It could mean health. It could mean relationships. It could mean opportunities. See, I'm not this prosperity gospel. I've told you that, but I believe that God's word. Here, I'd write this on the side. God wants us to bring our tithe because he knew it represented our hearts and that he wants us to trust him more. And that's what I want to say today. God just wants you and me to trust him more. Oh, how sweet to trust in the name of Jesus. Lord, I trust you. I'm honored that Don and I had the privilege of walking with Christ for decades. And we got to sit under the teaching of Larry Burkett, an amazing man of God. He taught us the scriptures from Genesis to Revelations about giving. 
And we chose before we got married to put this into our marriage that our first line would always be the tithe, that we would put it in number one. Every time I do premarital, I'll go, put God first, put God first, give to God first. Then you decide where you can live and what you can drive and what you can eat and where you can vacation and what you can skip on or whatever. And the church said, that's the word. And a lot of people do it and a lot of people don't do it. But God says, test me in this. So families all across America are in financial crisis now more than ever. Debt's out of control. People living on borrowed time, credit cards, on and on and on. I'm wondering a lot of times, have we been faithful to put Christ first? And God says, I will bless you. I will do for you. We give to him. Try it. And let me tell you something. I'm just going to tell you real quick. We've been working on something for a while. Leadership team, you saw three of them up here. We're going to have online giving coming to Christ community in the very near future. Some of you have been asking about this for a year or two, and I just want you to know. We still want you to write checks. We want you to give because we get 100% that way, but we want to step up faithfulness over forgetfulness. Write that down. We want to step up faithfulness over forgetfulness because what I'm learning is this generation is going, I don't write checks. I don't, write, I don't have a checkbook. I forget it. And then God always, you know, loses. And uh, so what I'm saying is we're going to help you. So online giving's coming, and people a lot smarter than me are going to get up here and explain that to you in weeks to come. But I just thought I'd share that. Is that exciting anybody around here? Okay, some of you like it. Some of you are like, I don't even know how to use a computer. Okay, well, join me. I'm having a class for dummies like me. Okay, here we go. Verse 2, quickly. Chapter 4. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in his wings, and you will go free, leaping with joy like calves let out to pasture. Now I know you read that and you go, yeah, that's what I am, a calf going out to pasture to be free. I am not a farmer, never been a farmer, don't want to be a farmer, but I like farmers. I pray for farmers. I like for what farmers produce, and all of us just say, God, thank you for farmers. Amen? But I don't really get it. And when I read this, I'm like, yeah, I'm the preacher. Right? Thank you, God, for that verse. That's just really throwing my soul like it is theirs. The son of righteousness that will rise, I think it's alluding to the Lord Jesus Christ. He will rise with healing in his wings, and you will go free. When you begin to obey him, when you begin to let the light of Christ fill you. And I've got a lot of scriptures. I'm just going to have to give them to you. John 8, 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Revelations 21, 3 through 4. Y'all come, worship team. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. I get so excited. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the order of things has passed away. It's a glimpse of heaven, how great it's going to be. Revelation 22, 5 through 7. There will be no more night. There will be no more need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. And the angel said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God who inspires the prophet, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. Look, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of prophecy that are written in this scroll. That's the hope of Jesus. And then if you go down to verse 6 in chapter 4, his preaching will turn the hearts of, his, of their fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Otherwise, or otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. Dads, listen to me. Leave a legacy. 
Dads, leave a legacy of Christ. It will outlive you and it'll give praises to the king and to your grandkids and to your great grandkids. So Lord, I pray that this morning you would allow us to not rob our kids, to not rob God, to not rob ourselves, to not rob our marriage, but to return to you, return to you. Man, it's, uh, it's a lot of scripture here today, but I just pray that God's taking some of these passages from Malachi and starting to grip them in your hearts. And God says, I just want you to obey me and honor me in all things. Let's pray together. Return to me. This morning, with your head bowed, I'm just wondering this morning, will you wholeheartedly and with great passion commit your life to Christ? Will you make a commitment this morning to live a God-honoring life when you leave this place? That God, I will make a commitment to build my marriage for the honor of your name. I will be a Christ follower that will honor the name of Christ. I will honor you, Father, in putting my family above myself. And Father, I will honor you today by maybe even deciding to putting you first in my finances and I will honor you in all things, mighty God. And you will pour out such a blessing that I cannot contain it. Shake this place, mighty God. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.